Welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast, a podcast devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. Now join our host for today's episode and enjoy. Well, welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for today's show. On today's episode, we're going to talk about and give an introduction to the purpose of this new exciting ministry called Contending for the Word that is part of Servants of Grace ministry over which I serve as the executive director. This ministry is devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. And we're going to do this through articles, through podcasts, through videos. The goal is to have one episode from our contributor team at Servants of Grace and others that we're going to add to this show, put out one original piece of content through our podcast each week, um, either through article or through a podcast or video or a combination of those So with each article, podcast, or video, we're going to aim to help those coming out of the New Age or the New Apostolic Reformation by informing, educating, equipping, and warning on the topic. We're not only going to cover topics on the New Apostolic Reformation and New Age, but we're also going to talk about issues in the church and in our culture because, you know what, we need to have resources. And the lineup that we're going to have are a who's who on on the subject matters of the New Apostolic Reformation and the New Age and on gender and sexuality and worldview analysis. I am really excited about this ministry. This has been something that uh, has been on my heart for a while. And the reason is I'm concerned because, yes, there are individuals speaking out. Yes, they're doing great work, but we need to band together and we need to work together. And so I'm praying that this ministry will be that kind of outlet where you can find trustworthy answers and resources and and be equipped to, as as the purpose of this ministry is, to inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. And that's the goal. Because what we're seeing is the rise of new age with, uh, you know, the Enneagram and yoga and so much more. And the new apostolic reformation with uh, especially Bethel and the rise, uh, the continued rise and its impact, especially on the contemporary culture and, and even in the, the church today. And we need to be equipped to answer these things. And, and not only that, we're facing a multi-pronged assault on gender and sexuality. Uh, parents and kids in and, and schools are facing this. Our young people in our colleges and our universities, they need help as well to, to stand for the word and to contend for the word. Uh, we all need to be informed and equipped and educated about these false teachers, movements, and unbiblical philosophies. And so I'm, I'm praying that this ministry will be really helpful for your life and godliness. It'll be helpful as you grow. And so today, I, I just kind of want to lay a foundation 
Uh, this will be more of a foundational episode. In future episodes, what, what you're going to find is there's a lot of it. There'll be clips. There'll be engagement uh, with ideas. And behind, we need to understand something. That behind the things that people are saying are their beliefs, their their convictions, their their theology, their that's their worldview. And we want to engage that worldview. We wanna we wanna engage in the marketplace of ideas here at Contending for the Word. And the reason isn't just to to point out why they why this teaching that we'll engage is wrong, but also something even more substantial than that, even. This is where apologetics often can miss the point, the goal. The goal of apologetics isn't only to give uh, an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. It's to do it with gentleness and respect. And the goal isn't necessary even to, as we'll talk about today, to expose only the air, which that is important as well. But the goal is also to equip you to understand how to speak to that topic. And if there's a unique contribution uh, that contending for the word is going to make uh, to the broader body of Christ in our day. It is that. It is equipping you more and helping you to understand not only the issue, but then how to engage the issue yourself. And so we want to do that. And I'm not saying that other people aren't doing that, but I'm saying that we want to help you to do that well. We want to help you not only be able to, to understand the issue at hand, but we want you to know what the Bible teaches. We want you to know what the church has taught. Uh, we want to engage clips and content. We want to engage the people because people have, as I said, they have worldviews. They have theology. They have uh, things that they're saying. And out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, the mouth speaks. And so people have things that they're saying. The issue is, as, as Christians, we need to meet them in the public square, in the marketplace of ideas, as Paul did in Acts, um, and we need to meet them there, and we need to engage them there, and we need to show people biblical truth and engage people where they're at. And we need to do so, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, with gentleness and respect. Now, today we're going to mainly be in the book of Jude, and we're also going to look at Ephesians 5 uh, as well, but let's start with the book of Jude. Jude's warnings regarding false teachers and their appointed ends in verses 5 through 16 of Jude are pertinent in our day as the assault of Satan against the church continues. Unless we're well-grounded in our faith, we're not going to be able to recognize false doctrine and help to rescue those who have fallen prey to it, as we see in Jude 17 through 23. Jude recognizes that all children of God are kept by his power and will not finally fall away in verses 1 through 2 and verses 24 through 25 of Jude. But Jude doesn't let this precious truth lead us into passive passivity. He will remind us that believers must contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints because of the goats who set themselves up as teachers of the sheep. And yet this call to fight actively for the faith is not limited to Jude alone. It's one theme uniting the general epistles as a whole. Each battle to defend the apostolic faith is going to be slightly different. 
After all, sometimes we're going to have to confront those who deny specific doctrines, like Peter and John did when they confronted those who denied the second coming, as Peter did in 2 Peter 3, 8-10, and as John did on the Incarnation in 1 John 4, 1-6. Uh, at other times, we're going to have to reassert the active nature of faith like James did when he called us to love God in word and deed in James 2, 14-26. Resisting the influence of false teachers may be more indirect at times, such as when we withhold support from those who pervert sound doctrine, as Second John talks about, or show hospitality to ministers, as Third John says. Nevertheless, we must always defend the gospel with gentleness and respect even if it brings suffering, as we see in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. And as we contend for the faith, we need to always remember to love those who disagree with us on secondary and third-order matters, as we see in James 1, 19 through 21, 1 Peter 1, 22, and 1 John 4, 7 through 8. And let us always love others in the truth and contend for the faith delivered to the saints as we serve the living God. I want you to take some time after you're done with this episode to read through the epistle of Jude once more. And, and at least one of the other general epistles like First John. Ask the Lord to help you recall his apostles teaching as you go about your daily business. And pray you will not fall prey to false doctrine. Ask the Lord to help you love other believers more deeply and motivate you to give generously of your time, effort, and resources for the proclamation uh, and the spread of the true gospel. In Jude 3-4, through Jude declares his intention in writing this short letter in Jude. We see in Jude 3 that Jude's original purpose in composing his epistle was to discuss their common salvation. And yet this initial motivation was put on hold because circumstances made it necessary for Jude to exhort his audience to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Why did Jude find it necessary to urge his audience to fight? In verse 4 of Jude, he explains that certain ungodly people had crept into the church, people who, as false teachers, were designated long ago for condemnation. Wolves had gained ground among lambs, and the sheep needed to be warned, lest they would fall prey to deception. Let's stop here, and let me make an observation. Some people say that when you speak out against false teachers, what you're doing is you're, you're violating what Jesus says in Matthew 7, when he says, don't judge. But the problem is, is in Matthew 18, in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, what we see is righteous judgment. Church discipline is righteous judgment. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 is the hypocritical judgment of the Pharisees that didn't have all the facts and said they were judging falsely. They were bearing false witness, as the Ten Commandments say. This is really important because those who suggest that we shouldn't judge, what they forget is the apostles themselves engaged in judgment. But they didn't engage in ungodly judgment. They engaged in godly judgment. They engaged in doctrinal discernment, as John MacArthur would call it. And that kind of discernment is commanded of every Christian in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 
to test all things and to hold fast what is good. In Acts 17.11, the Bereans were commended for searching the scriptures to see if these things were so. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, uh, the Thessalonians are commended for receiving the word with gladness and joy because they'd opened the word to read it as Paul taught them the word. And so judging rightly requires us to be people of the word, to be grounded and shaped by the word of God so that we know the word and we can spot air. That's what, you know, there's a famous example. I'm pretty sure you, every single person has heard it. If you haven't, it goes like this. You know, the secret service agents, they study the dollar bill again and again and again, day in and day out. They know the original. They know the original mold of the dollar so well that they can spot the fake. The problem is, is today we're living in a time of, of such biblical and theological illiteracy that true Christians can't spot the fake. They can't spot a fraud dollar bill. They can't spot fraudulent teaching. And because there's so many people today, as we're going to talk about on this podcast, they have, they have succumbed to false ideologies, to false movements, and to uh, things that oppose the knowledge of God as revealed in the Word of God and as taught throughout the history of the church. And it's so important that we understand this because in our day, we don't have to make up answers. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have the word of God, the 66 books that constitute the word of God. It is, it is reliable. It is, the scripture is reliable. It's trustworthy. It's without error. It's without the possibility of error. The scripture is clear. Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture is binding on our lives. The Holy Spirit is aiming to take the Word that you read and study and meditate and memorize on, and He's aiming to drill it down deeper and deeper into your life so that you can apply the Word into every situation, whether that's a trial, whether that's a marital difficulty, uh, a financial situation, or on and on and on. He's aiming to help you. And this is also in our local churches what's happening. We hear the preached word of God verse by verse and line by line from our pastor. And through that, we are equipped, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, to rightly handle the word of God. And so it matters. It matters what our pastor is preaching. They better be preaching the word of God. They better be preaching it as commanded in 2 Timothy 4, in season and out of season. They better be doing, as Acts 20 says, preaching the whole word of God. And we do that through verse-by-verse verse expositions, through books of the Bible, where we preach the point of the text as the point of the sermon. Uh, one book at a time, we work our way through it, and then you know we go on. That doesn't mean that we never can preach uh, or talk about uh, or hit a topic, but even in a topical sermon, we're focusing on what does the text say, not what does the topic mean. Uh, there's a big difference. And the reason is, is so that people, Christians, can be trained and grounded uh, firmly in the truth of God's word. Even, even on this show, we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide a resource to the local church. That, that's actually at the heart of Servants of Grace. We are a resource ministry aiming to be a resource to the local church 
We're aiming to come alongside the church with this ministry contending for the word. And we're trying to equip and inform and educate believers about false teachers and movements and ideas that oppose themselves against the knowledge of God. As 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, so that we can destroy lofty arguments against the knowledge of God. This is vital in our day because we are facing challenges. And it's not just challenges on gender and sexuality. It's challenges from the New Age. It's challenges from uh, it's challenges from the New Apostolic Reformation and so much more. And so this is going to be a resource uh, ministry of Servants of Grace that is going to be something that you want to share with your friends and your family um, and those in your local church. And so as we turn back now to Jude, these teachers that Jude is speaking of, they perverted the grace of our God into sensuality, and they denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says, and while the exact details of their false words are unknown, it's clear these teachers were claiming to be Christians while living immoral lives, as verse 7 of Jude says. The term rendered ungodly in Jude 4 was often used by the Jews to describe the ethical godlessness practiced in ancient Greek culture. Using the grace of God as an excuse, these teachers were denying the sovereign right of the Lord Jesus to determine moral behavior, substituting their own standards as instead. And yet such wanton living, such lawless living, is anathema to the faith delivered to the saints mentioned in Jude 3. Here, faith is used to describe the content of what is believed by Christians. It includes such things as a simple proclamation of the gospel, as well as the moral teaching of the apostles. This faith was once and for all delivered by God through his apostles. It's not open to change. It's not open to revision or even addition. We find its content in the pages of sacred scripture, which contains all of the doctrine profitable for our instruction, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 14-17. And Though this faith was once delivered, this letter and the course of church history, for that matter, makes it clear this faith cannot be taken for granted, but must be zealously guarded and defended. That's because when we contend for the purity of the gospel, we, unlike these false teachers, submit to the sovereignty of Christ. The faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints is assaulted in a variety of ways in our day. We're not going to even touch, there's no way to even begin to touch on all those ways in this introductory episode. Some overtly deny gospel truth. Some add new revelations from the spirit or church tradition to the apostolic testimony. Some ignore their responsibility to become well-grounded in doctrine. Take some time to consider how you must contend for the faith where you live. Pray God would help you to learn to stand for the faith established in his word. In fact, we're living in a time of great theological confusion. According to Ligonier Ministries' latest State of Theology survey, 30% of professing evangelicals reject the deity of Christ. 46% believe they are good by nature. 22% think gender identity is a matter of personal choice. Perhaps if these surveys could have been taken centuries past, we would, we would find it always have been so. But our culture has definitely injected a strong dose of doing whatever I want, thinking whatever I want, because it's all about me, and individualism that makes ourselves at the center. And that makes it hard for people to recognize any authority above themselves. 
And as a result, people prefer a faith that resists clear definition and a Christianity empty of specific content. All of which makes Jude 3 so relevant to talk about in which Jesus' half-brother urges us to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So let's talk about this from three angles. Jude 3, from three angles. That's going to help us to understand what it means to contend for the faith in an age of moral and theological confusion. And the first point that I have for you, faith with definite boundaries and content. The, the word faith, it usually refers to the act of the heart by which we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope in life and death. But the faith refers not to the act of believing, but rather to what is believed here. And this tells us that even in the first century, there was already a recognized body of teaching that all Christians were expected to embrace. Jude can urge Christians in 65 AD to contend for the faith and assume they know what he's talking about. Unlike some modern skeptics, Jude doesn't speak of multiple Christianities. Like Paul, he believes there's one faith, as Paul says in Ephesians 4-5, and that those who taught contrary to it were not simply offering valid alternatives, but were preaching false gospels, as Paul says in Galatians 1-6-9. Christians don't have to agree on everything. We can see that very clearly in Romans 14. But they do have to agree on gospel doctrine, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15 and Galatians 1. And this also tells us that although the Bible is a big book, its teaching can be accurately summarized. This is what a good creed or confession does. That is why if a church's website doesn't contain a section telling you what we believe— then you should be very reluctant to go to that church. You can't contend for something you can't define. The faith wasn't an empty bucket for Jude. It had content, which raises the question, what was in that bucket? That leads us to the second point, which is faith filled with moral and doctrinal truth. For Jude and the early church, the faith would have included both fundamental moral and doctrinal truths. So first, the moral truths under this heading. First, the faith includes the fundamental moral truths about sin and righteousness. In fact, Jude was making this appeal precisely because in verse 4 he says, certain people had crept in unnoticed, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Living in sensuality and then creating theological rationalizations for it is a denial of the faith and of Christ in a stroke that makes this passage extremely relevant for our culture in which some churches are flying the rainbow flag in the name of Christian love. Jude cites this as a warning for the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, which in verse 7 he says, indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, and thus serves as an example of the undergoing, undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Make no mistake, our apostolic faith states, we believe in the forgiveness of sins as we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 and Colossians 1, 13-14. But that also assumes we know what sin is. If Christ died for our sins, it is a matter of first importance to understand this very question. And then a right understanding of sin must also be of first importance. 
Jesus didn't come to relax the commandments, and he didn't die to change the moral grain of the universe. He died so that we could be forgiven and released from sin's bondage. He was raised so we would walk in newness of life. That's the Christian faith. And that's what these false teachers were denying, both in Jews' day and in our own. Unless this seems one-sided, let me add that we can deny the faith not only by affirming sexual immorality, but also by refusing to care for our aged parents. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The same faith that teaches us to flee fornication also teaches us to honor mom and dad. And any attempt to reduce the faith to the doctrinal truths contained in the early creeds, usually in an effort to avoid conflict with the sexual revolution, is a pipe dream that puts people's souls at risk. That's exactly what's happening in our own day, as as we'll see on this show as we move through and we talk about homosexuality and transgenderism especially. When you, when you open the door for those, those two things, uh, guess what happens? The very definition of what a man is and what a woman is, they're obliterated. They are destroyed. And this is the kind of thing, by the way, that Jude is talking about in Jude's letter. Now let's move to the next point, doctrinal truth. If one ditch sees Christianity as simply affirming a set of doctrinal teachings, regardless of how you live, the other ditch sees Christianity as simply being a good person, regardless of what you believe. It doesn't matter. It just matters what you think and what you believe. That's, that's the current moment in which we're living in. After all, surely one can be a good neighbor without believing the Trinity, right? Of course, no one should deny that atheists and Hindus can be good neighbors or that loving neighbor is the heart of the faith, but it's not the whole heart. Don't forget the first commandment. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. According to Jesus, this is eternal life to know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent in John 17, verse 3. A Christian is not simply someone who lives in a certain way. A Christian is somebody who believes certain things. The faith affirms that certain events really happen, like the creation of the universe, ex nihilo, and the resurrection of Jesus, as we see in Hebrews 11.3 and 1 Corinthians 15. It affirms that certain statements are really true, such as, Jesus is Lord, the Lord is one, and all the gods of the people are worthless idols, as we see in Romans 10.9, 1 Corinthians 12.3, Deuteronomy 6.4, 1 Corinthians 8.6, and Psalm 96.5. And it also affirms that certain events really will take place, like the judgment of the wicked and the resurrection of the body, as we see in Jude 6 and Jude 14, and 1 Corinthians 15, and 2 Timothy 2.18. Now, beliefs without behavior may be dead, but behavior without beliefs is deadly too. The faith isn't simply about being a good person. It's about recognizing that you haven't been a good person. Claiming that good people can be saved regardless of what they believe about Jesus is moralism, and that's pure and simple truth. It is a denial of the Christian faith. The last point that I have for you in this section is faith that outlasts the Zagrist. Orthodox Christians have repeatedly been told that Christianity must change or die since modern man simply cannot be expected to believe in and fill in the blank. A hundred years ago, uh, the things that modern man could, couldn't be expected to believe was usually the doctrinal truths, teaching like the virgin birth or the resurrection. Modern man in 1920 was fine with the Bible's morality. He just couldn't be expected to believe in miracles. 
But today, in our time, it's exactly the reverse. It's the Bible's moral teachings that our culture finds offensive, especially on sexuality. And once again, we're told that we must evolve or die. And yet, if you look back over the 20th century, you see exactly the opposite. The churches that evolved were the churches that died. It's the churches who were willing to lose their lives and stand upon the word of God who were saved. Jew could have told us this. The faith isn't something we can tweak to fit the zygist of our day because the faith isn't something we invented. It's something that was delivered once and for all to the saints. And if that truth is the same today. And although human cultures may alternate on which aspects of the faith they find most offensive, the same basic stumbling blocks remain. People want a God who allows them to indulge their sensual appetites and who accepts them based on their good deeds. The Christian faith offers neither. Instead, it offers something better. We do live in a time of great theological confusion, and the temptation to give people what they want instead of what they need remains as strong as ever. But fallen people have never been good judges of what they need. And so the most unloving thing we could do is to tweak the faith in order to give people what they want. And the most loving thing we can do is exactly what Jude said, contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, as we move and we talk about uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 11 through 14, Paul there in Ephesians 5, 11 through 14, he makes it plain that living apart from the darkness does not mean withdrawing completely from the world. Instead, walking as children of the light means not engaging in the sins of the unbelieving culture, even as we love the sinners around us. And when it comes to interacting with the world, we are not forbidden from making friends with those who are still enslaved to sin. Rather, we are forbidden from acting in ways that displease God. Paul explains that we are not to take merely a defensive stance against dark deeds and to stay away from them. Our approach must be offensive. We are to expose unfruitful works of darkness, as he says in Ephesians 5.11. The interplay in the immediate context in Ephesians 5 between light and darkness helps us understand how this exposure happens in Ephesians 5.7-14. That which is hidden in the darkness can be revealed only when the light shines on it. And by walking in Christ, we shine the light on holiness Uh, on the dark recesses of this world. Our efforts to live sanctified lives stand in stark contrast to the evil of our fallen culture, thereby exposing sinners for who they truly are and unveiling what they truly deserve, the wrath of God. Our preaching of the gospel goes hand in hand with such living so that those whose deeds are exposed might know that they will escape the darkness if they come to saving faith in Christ. And only two responses can follow such exposure. Many will hate the light and those whose lives provide the illumination, and they will try to stamp out the light and silence the church, as we see in John 3, uh, 19-20, in Acts 14, 8-23, in Acts 19, 21-41. Others will know the conviction of the Holy Spirit and see the darkness of their deeds. They will turn from their sin to Christ and thereby begin to glorify the Lord, as we see in Matthew 5, 14-16. The light of God that shines through us both illuminates and transforms. It exposes and it cleanses. Those whom the light redeems become visible. 
and that which is visible is light, as we see in Ephesians 5, 13-14. In other words, formerly dark individuals are cleansed and become lights through whom our Savior shines brightly. This is what happened at our conversion. And we continue to become ever brighter lights as we, through confession and repentance, expose our sin to God and flee from it and turn to Jesus. Matthew Henry says, We must witness against the sin of others and endeavor to convince them of their sinfulness in our words, and especially by the holiness of our lives. Our holy living has consequence not only for our own sanctification, but for the eternal good of others. As we seek to please God, humbly admitting how we fall short of his standards, we provide a beacon of hope to those entrapped in the darkness of sin. I began this show starting out talking about the purpose of contending for the word. This ministry is a ministry of Servants of Grace Ministries, which I'm the executive director of. Now, the purpose of contending for the word is is we are devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. And this is really, really important in our day. You're going to hear again and again and again about these movements, these teachers, these unbiblical philosophies. We want you to learn who are these teachers, what are these movements, what are these philosophies. But we don't only want you to know that. We want you to understand what Scripture teaches and what, uh, how Scripture opposes those things. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5.11, to expose the works of darkness. So we're going to do that. But we're not only going to expose those things so that you know what they are uh, and, and how to stand against them, but we're going to help you understand what Scripture teaches about the particular topic under consideration. So we're going to help you understand who the person, who the teaching, who the philosophy is, Um, and a bit of the history. We're going to help you understand, you know, what the Bible teaches about this subject that we're considering in an an episode. We're also going to help you understand what the church has taught. And then we're going to take it to the next level. We're going to help you learn to apply that truth that, that you've heard about from Scripture and from church history. And we're going to help you learn to, to think about it in a, through a biblical worldview. And then we're going to very practically help you, uh, to, to engage that topic uh, in in your world, in the world in which you live, in your workplace, in your in your vocation, you see, we gather together on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, and we we scatter from the our from our local churches out into the various places in which the Lord has placed us. Whether you're a single mom, you're a lawyer, you're a social worker, you're a writer, you're an author, you're a podcaster. You know, the Lord has placed you where he has need of you to use your talents, your gifts, your skills, your education, your ability uh, to make disciples who make disciples. So our purpose here is really to come alongside of, uh, of you and come alongside the church and to provide a resource. We're living in a time of great challenge where we see the rise of false movements and uh, false teachers in the New Apostolic Reformation. We, we see the rise of uh, pagan spirituality through uh, the New Age. And, and we're seeing an assault on gender and sexuality uh, between marriage, between one man and one woman. We're seeing that in the homosexual movement. We're seeing that in the transgender movement. We're seeing that uh, in politics and on and on and on. And so on this show, you're going to be informed. 
You're going to be educated. You're going to be equipped. You're going to be warned about false teachers, movements, and philosophies. And I hope that this will be really helpful for you. We want to, we want to target a people that are under the influence of false teachers. We want to bring, see them be brought out into the light and into the truth of what Scripture teaches and what the church has taught. We want to expose false movements for what they are, that they rise against the knowledge of God in the revealed word of God and against what the church has taught. We want to expose unbiblical philosophies and movements and ideas. And sometimes that's going to mean that where we're going to speak directly to something going on in the body of Christ where that's impacting the church. There's many issues today on that front as well. But we also want to speak more even broadly to issues in our culture, uh, not not from the idea that we're, we're speaking directly to the culture, but equipping you as you're going out from your local church, get their issues that are facing you in the world today. And, and we must be equipped to handle them through a biblical worldview. You see, the Bible gives us, it gives us a way to not only know the Lord as defined in the word. That, that forms a biblical worldview. But that worldview that the, the Bible gives us, it gives us the lenses through which to see the world in which we live, in which we work, in which we play, in which we live, and, and in which we you know have our being and all of it unto the glory of God and before his face. And so I hope that this opening episode has been helpful to you beyond just introducing this show. I am extremely excited. There's been a lot of prayer. A lot of time has gone into uh, this uh, ministry, into this, especially this podcast. And I hope that it'll be helpful and useful uh, for your life and godliness. Until, you know, next time, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, and follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, or X. We appreciate your support.